Hey, uh, I just thought of an idea. We got a greeting from, uh, from the Work and Witness team. Can we send a greeting back to them? Is that okay? Yeah. Don't mind if I pull my cell phone out, right? Okay. I'm gonna, I wish I had my selfie stick. I don't really have a selfie stick, but uh, we're going to take a selfie. I'm going to stand up here with you guys in the background. Can we get a little wave? Hold on. I got to stand up here. There we go. Now we're talking. Ready? One, two, three. All right, there we go. I'll wait till I'm, I'm glad I didn't fall off there. That would have been bad. Ah, I love selfies. I wish I had a selfie stick, but when you're an adult and you have a selfie stick, if you don't know what a selfie stick is, ask one of the teens. They'll tell you what a selfie stick is. I almost ordered one when we were at NYC, but I uh, refrained from that. So, uh, well, it is, is good to be with you this morning and to um, to dig into to God's Word. We are uh, wrapping up our summer series in the book of James, and, and this is our ninth week. It's hard to believe that in a book that only has five chapters that we can, uh, we can, we can get nine um, different messages out of, out of such a short book. But, but here we are, we're on week nine of, of James, and we've been looking at this radical faith that we're called to uh, as followers of Christ. We're not, we're not called to this this faith where we just sit back and, and kind of take the easy road and we're just on our way to heaven and everything's just peachy, right? We're called to this radical faith. And as we read through the book of James, we see that sometimes what we're called to is a little bit different. In fact, uh, with, our, uh, with our youth group, we went through the book of James several months ago and, and our, our series was titled Shocking Truth. Uh, you guys remember that? Somebody? Some? Okay. At least half of a person remembers that we did that. I promise we did. I have the banner to prove it that we did shocking truth. Okay. We looked at these truths in the book of James that, and there were shocking truths because sometimes they're not easy, right? As, as Christ followers, sometimes they're not easy things that we want, we want to, we really want to do, but they're tough and they, and they, they take some work. And, um, it's been fun to watch Pastor Joe, um, writes the, uh, the discussion questions that you'll find in your bulletin, which by the way, I hope that you take advantage of those, uh, whether you're in a small group or not, uh, there's questions for discussion in your bulletin. And Pastor Joe writes those and he sends them to us. And, uh, and on a couple of them, uh, as he's emailed that, and, and in his email he said, you know, this one really kind of punched me in the gut. And I don't remember exactly what the, the words that Pastor Joe said. Um, but as pastors, uh, you know, as your staff who's been preparing these messages, these have been things that have been really challenging for us as well. Um, this, isn't, this isn't a faith where we can just take the easy road, but it's stuff uh, that we got to work at. And that James calls us to... This radical faith and not just this easy faith where we're, where we're heaven bound and, and, and that's all that matters. This radical faith. And he's, he's called us to transform our desires. Radical faith transforms our desires. And radical faith causes us to see trials or hardships as something that can be positive, right? Like, because we can grow in our faith with Christ through these hardships and these trials. Uh, and, and we've also seen that, that faith without works is dead, right? So when, when it comes to radical faith, if there's not works to go alongside it, then it's dead because our faith causes us to do these good works. And, and we find today, uh, as we wrap up the book of James, that, that James has one final call for us as, as, the, as the body of Christ. Um, but th- this past week was, was the county fair. Did anybody go to the county fair, the Union County Fair? All right. Most of the first service went. You guys must not be fair people. A few of you. Um, I love the fair. I grew up going to the fair. Um, spent a lot of time at the fair. Um, I, was a, I was a member of the FFA. Um, so I would get into the fair. I, would, I wouldn't show animals because we didn't have the place to keep animals. But 
but I did some wood shop projects. Basically, I did those just so that I could get into the fair for free all week, right? Um, because that's where I like to be. That's where, that's where my friends hung out. We, we, we spent a lot of time at the fair. And so now being at a church where um, half of my youth group shows animals at the fair, I'm like, yes, I get an excuse to go to the fair, right? And that's part of my job. I get paid to sit at the county fair, which is pretty sweet. You may think I'm weird for that, but it is fun. Even when it's 90 degrees at the fair, but that's fair weather, right? So, spend some time at the fair, and one of the things that I kind of have realized about the fair is there's like a fair community, right? Like the community of the fair folks. I and mean, I'm not talking like the, the crowd that comes out on Friday nights, uh, for the, because everybody comes to the county fair on Friday night, right? But I'm talking about the, the people who are there all week long, and they're there showing their animals, taking care. There's this like, there's this community and this camaraderie that exists among fair participants, and it's something that I, that I kind of observed as I was at the fair this week, but I've seen it um, as, I, as I've been to the fair several times. But the, the community of fair participants, they we kind of come together, right? And they help each other out, and they're there for each other, uh, regardless of what the circumstances are. And it really, it really kind of... Uh, it really kind of hit me when I was watching um, the cows being shown. Anybody ever watch a cow show at the fair? Either steers or uh, dairy feeders, whatever. Um, so I was watching this. Megan Payne, um, she, she, shows, she raises dairy, uh, dairy feeders and, and shows them. Well, we know Megan had a car accident a few months ago or a month or so ago. And so because of that, she wasn't able to show her cows that she's worked so hard in raising. Um, but the community of the fair participants... Um, somebody else decided, hey, I'm going to show your animals for you. Because at this point, the judges aren't worried about the person. It's all about the cow, right? And so, so Megan had someone step in and say, I'm going to show your cow for you. And she ended up winning reserve champion, which is sweet. Um, but this community of fair participants, they kind of stepped in. And, and, and where, where Megan couldn't participate, they said, we've got your back. We're going to, we're going to make this work for you. And then I saw it. Um, if you've been to, the, to a cow show, you, see, you know that... Um, you have, you have the teens or the, the kids who are leading their cows around, and they have to walk them in, and they have to line them up so the judge can take a look at them. And then they have to lead them kind of around the show arena so that the judge can get the, you know, the, the side view of the cow. And then they walk around, and they look at the rear view of the cow, which who, sign, who signs up for that job, right? Like, hey, let's look at the side profile and then the rear profile of a big, beastly cow. That's not, I, that's not me, but hey... Um, so, that, so that's what they have to walk them around. And, and some of these cows are like 1,400, 1,500-pound cows. And some of the kids who are leading them are like 80 pounds. And, and, you, and you, you see them like yanking on these cows, trying to get them to, to line up where they need to go. And sometimes the cows just don't go. Like an 80-year-old kid could really get a 1,400-pound cow to move if the cow doesn't want to move, right? But one of the th- cool things that I saw was uh, the person behind said, 1,400-pound cow that wouldn't move uh, would kind of grab the tail of the cow in front of them and just kind of give it a little push uh, to, to start walking. And the cow would kind of meander, you know, at his own little cow pace. He's not in a hurry to get anywhere um, to, get, to get it where it needs to go. And I thought, that's pretty cool. Like, uh, they're, they're, obviously, they're showing their animal. They want their animal to win. But this community of cow showers are, are willing to step up and help out um, their friends in, in, the, in the cow uh, showing arena. I guess that's what it's called, right? The show arena. Yeah. Um, but then I was thinking, what if 
What if this community of fair showers um, was not an honest community? Like what if somebody who jumped in the, the show arena to show their cow wasn't really a cow person and didn't know the ins and outs of the cow showing business, if you will? What if they weren't very honest and they just pretended that they knew what they were doing and they jumped in? And, and I was starting to picture this, like they were, instead of just, you know, tugging on the tail or pushing on the tail, what if they brought a cattle prod right in the middle of the show and just kind of zapped the cow on the side and that cow took off and started running all over. And then you have nine 1,500 pound cows and you have nine 80 pound kids who are trying to show their animals. And it's just chaos because this one person wasn't an in an honest community. He wasn't honest about his place in the community. That would be chaos, right? Well, the final, the final command or suggestion, if you will, that, that James writes to us is about this honest community. James calls us to this honest community. And, and, and we find that in, uh, in James chapter 5. And if you have your, if you have your Bible, you want to you flip there with me. We're going to uh, look at James chapter 5. We're going to start with verse 13. And we're going to finish out the, uh, the book so through verse 20. Again, James chapter 5 and verse 13. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save him from death and cover a multitude of sins. So we see through the book of James, we see this idea of radical faith. And we see these, um, these, these commands that James gives us to, to live our life, our, our, our faith life in a way um, that is radical. And we see these ideas of things that you should do as an individual. We talked about um, you know, transforming your desires and um, taming your tongue and things like that. But James, I think, kind of ends this little letter with a call for community. It's not just about, hey, this is what you should do, but this is what you as the community of believers should look like. If you're calling yourself a community of believers or the church, if you will, this is what it needs to look like. So he has this call for honest community. And as I was, uh, as I was preparing this um, I kind of felt like this was a little more simple than maybe it really was. And, I, and actually, when I was preparing this, I, I said to Chelsea, I said, do you ever feel like when you're preparing your sermons that, um, that it's just really too simple? And she looked at me and she's like, what? I've never prepared a sermon before. She's not a preacher. She's a teacher. She never prepared a sermon. And then, she, and then, and then I thought, well, keep it simple, stupid. And so I'm going to keep it simple, stupid. When I'm reading this last part of James, it seems pretty simple to me. And I found two characteristics of honest community that we find in this, in this ending of the letter of James. First is this. Honest community cares about people's well-being. If we live in honest community, then we care about people's 
well-being. And we see that in, in, in James, uh, starting in verse 13, we see, is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. We care about that. If someone's in trouble, if someone's suffering, if someone's having a hard time, pray. We care about that. But, but I think it's easy for us to, to look at that and say, is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Meaning if so-and-so is in trouble, then so-and-so should pray. But I think what James is getting at here is, if anyone is in trouble, and they're part of this community of believers, if anyone is in trouble, then we, the community of believers, pray. Not just, not just the person who's going through this hardship, but he's part of a community of believers. And so if he's having a hard time, if he's suffering, if he's going through trials, we, the community, pray. But then it says, is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. We know that when we live in community, there's going to be times where someone is going through a hard time, and at the exact same time, someone else is going through the time of their lives. That's just the way it is, right? Not everybody's on the same page at the same time. So while someone may be struggling, someone else may be happy. And what does James say to do? Let them sing songs of praise. But not just the person who's going through the happy time, right? Or having the time of their life. Not just him sing songs of praise, but we as the community. When someone is going through a happy time, then you, the community, we join with them, right? And we sing the praise. That's the, that's the picture of, of the community throughout the New Testament uh, in this idea of praying and singing songs. If we look at the examples all throughout New Testament, this idea of prayer and songs of praise happens in community. That's not to discount the idea of individual prayer and individual praise. Um, that's certainly valuable and there's a place for that. But I think what James is saying is when someone in your group is going through a hard time, Everybody prays. When someone is happy and has reason to celebrate, then everybody celebrates. It doesn't mean that you're going through a great time or you're going through a rough time, but we're a community and we come alongside them and we lift them up and we encourage them. I think James's call is, is very communal. It's for all of us to join in with our brothers and our sisters, whatever they're going through. And then he says, is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. So we go from, is any one of you in trouble to, is any one of you happy? And then we go to, is anyone sick? And what do we do when someone is sick? Well, James says to gather the elders together and have them pray over you and anoint you with oil. This idea that you don't have to go through your sickness, your physical ailment alone. You live in a community, and we lift you up in that community. So call the elders. And, and I, I, sometimes I think that we can look at that, and we can be like, all right, I just got to let the pastors know. And that's good. We want to know as pastors. But look at this community of believers you have sitting around you. When you're going through these physical ailments, man, it's cool for me to pray, and for Pastor Paul and Pastor Joe and Christy and Kim to pray. But like, what about the rest of these believers who have been doing this and have been praying faithfully to have them surround you in prayer in these hard times and in your physical ailments and then have them anoint you with oil. And, and we do this in the Nazarene church. We anoint with oil and it's just a way to, it's not that the oil has any sort of medicinal power, but it's just a way to pray over someone who has a physical ailment. And we don't do it a lot, but sometimes we do. When someone in your community is sick, the entire community is weaker because of that. And so we as a community surround that, that person and we pray for them. I think that 
verse 15 can kind of be a little bit tricky because it says, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. I think when we read that, it's kind of, I think we can kind of take that the wrong way to say that if you, if you pray, if you get the elders amongst you to pray for you and anoint you with oil, then you will automatically be healed. I don't think that's what James is getting at here. I mean, if you look at evidence, that's not that we certainly do see physical healings, right? We believe that God still heals physically. Okay, one of you do. All right, cool. Um, we believe that God still feels, heals physically. But when James says, when you pray and the sick person will be made well, I don't necessarily think that he's saying, if you pray, the sick person will automatically be physically healed. I think that maybe what James means by well is maybe they do that maybe they are healed physically, and we praise God for that. But maybe being made well also means that they're given the all-sufficient grace that they need to make it through that physical ailment. For however long that, that, that looks like, maybe being made well means that they receive that sufficient grace to make it through that, that illness. I think when we, when, we, when we say that it, that it means that you're going to be physically healed, I think that leads to some, some dangerous theology and practice. Um, the sick person is made well. And then it goes on to say, if he has sinned, he will be forgiven. And it's interesting that that's in the same, the same verse, uh, verse 15, that the sick person will be well, and, the, and, and if he sinned, he will be forgiven. That's kind of interesting to me. Because it seems as though James is tying our physical health with our spiritual well-being. And if we have sin and it's tied to our physical health, I think that's also something that, for me, kind of, I had to, I had to kind of read and research that because it's very easy for us to tie that and to say, if you are physically ill or have a physical impairment, then that's a result of sin. I, I I think that's dangerous as well. Um, to say, to automatically attribute physical ailments to sin. I don't think that that's what James is, is getting at here. But, but I also think that sometimes we're quick to discount the tie between our spiritual health and our physical health. Because maybe there are ties in circumstances between our unrepentant sin and our physical health. Um, maybe it's that, that guilt that you're carrying with you and that guilt leads to stomach ulcers and, and stomach pains. And maybe there is a tie to the physical health and to our spiritual health. And in fact, uh, modern medicine is, is kind of just now discovering that, you know what, maybe there is a tie between our physical health and our spiritual health. And, and, and when we're spiritually well, it can have positive influences on our physical body. When I worked at Lower Lights at the health center, um, we provided uh, spiritual care for our patients, and we had a team of spiritual care providers uh, who were there just to, to pray and to, to listen with patients who, as they were there for their physical needs, um, they were, our spiritual care providers were just there addressing the spiritual care. And, and part of the training for that that I, I got to train in was this tie between the physical and the spiritual health. And, and we used a, a book by a man named Dan Fountain, who was a medical missionary, um, and, and he found when he was in, in some poverty-stricken countries, there was a lot of sickness that their modern medicine just 
couldn't address and they couldn't figure out what was going on. They tried all the, all the medicine that they, that they knew of and they couldn't figure it out. And then he started um, using these spiritual care providers to kind of talk to them about their spiritual well-being. And, and they would uncover things in their lives that, that weren't pleasant. Um, and when they would address the spiritual health, then the, the, uh, the physical ailments would see improvement. Uh, and that's fascinating to me, but, but it's, not, it's not really that crazy because Scripture tells us that we are whole beings, right? Like, and Christ calls us to be whole um, physically and spiritually, and we all work together. Um, so I, I don't, like I said, I don't, I don't want to be misunderstood in, in saying that um, our physical ailments are... are um, are absolutely tied to our, to our sin because I don't think that that's the case. But I certainly do think that our physical and our spiritual are tied together. So then we find uh, in verse 16, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And at this point in, the, in James's letter, I think, I think that James kind of gets the idea that He's telling his people to pray and that good things will happen. And that, and I think he kind of gets a sense that maybe he's going to get a little pushback. Like, like the people who are reading his letter are going to say, wait a minute, James, I'm just a human being and my prayers aren't really that effective. Or, or James, I, I pray for people because I tell them I'm going to pray for people and that's what we're supposed to do as good Christians. But I don't really think that, that my prayers as a mere human uh, have that much impact. And it's almost as if James can kind of sense this pushback or predict this pushback. And so he interjects here with the story of Elijah. And we know the story of Elijah. He prayed, for, he prayed for a drought, and there was a drought. He prayed for rain, and there was rain. And then in between the praying for the drought and the praying for rain, we also remember that Elijah was in a battle with the prophets of Baal. And he was on a mountaintop, and, and the prophets of Baal were, were arguing with him, you know, whose God is greater, whose God is the one true God. And the prophets of Baal, they, they create an offering and a sacrifice, and they try to call down fire from, uh, from their God to burn up their sacrifice. And they, and they, they try to call down this fire, and, and nothing happens. And we see that Elijah says, all right, my God's better than that. I can, this, is, this is going to be cool. You should watch this. And he takes a sacrifice. And he says, not only am I going to call down fire to this sacrifice, because I believe my God's pretty powerful. He says, go get me some buckets of water. Now, I don't know if any of you are Boy Scouts, have been Boy Scouts, or Girl Scouts. I don't know if Girl Scouts build fires or not, but uh, Chris is a Girl Scout. Thanks, <laughs> Chris. <laughs> Just kidding. He's a Boy Scout. I don't know if you've ever tried to light a fire <laughs> with soaking wet wood and it's been doused in water, it doesn't really work very well, right? So Elijah says, you know what? My God is so powerful that I'm going to have you pour water all over. I'm going to dig a trench and pour water around it. And he's gonna, I'm going to call down fire from my God. And he prays to God and, and his offering is burn up. And in fact, so much so that the water just evaporates. James takes this opportunity to say, you know what? I... I know, I know that you're going to say, I can't do this. I, my prayers don't really matter. But he says, take Elijah, for example, because he was a mere human like you are. And he called for the drought, and God gave the drought. And he called for fire to burn up his, his offering, and God gave that fire. And he called for rain, and God brought that rain. Don't forget Elijah. 
Because I know this seems overwhelming and you don't want to think that your prayers have much power. But remember Elijah. Because he was a mere human. He was a righteous man. And his prayer made a difference. And then after this interjection, I think we see the second characteristic of the honest community. In fact, if we back up, it starts with verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Uh, The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And then we jump down to verse 19. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover a multitude of sin. I think honest community also cares about people's spiritual health. As honest community, we care about people's spiritual health, not just their physical health or or not just what's going on in their lives. We care about spiritual health, right? An honest community cares about spiritual health. And we see this call from the book of James to confess your sins to each other. And I think that sometimes that's a little bit scary because we get this picture of, of these public confessions. But that's not what James is. James isn't calling us to these public confessions, uh, cult-like confessions where we can publicly shame and humiliate and manipulate um, because you did something wrong. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is a confession that happens in an honest community where it's going to fall on trustworthy ears and we're there to build each other up and not tear each other down. We're there to, to build each other up and to say, you know what, I know you're struggling with this. Well, guess what? I'm struggling with something similar. And so we can work through this together. An honest community where we don't have to pretend. We don't have to put the masks over our face and pretend like we have everything together. We have an honest community where we're struggling. Guess what? So are the rest of us. Can I, can, I, can I make a shameless plug for our small groups? Um, because as you know, on a Sunday morning, this isn't really the place um, for public confession. We don't hold public confessions up here on the stage. Um, because again, that's not what James is calling us to do. But can I tell you that the, the small group is a perfect place for this? Where we have this small, intimate group of believers and we have this honest community where we built relationships and we know that we can trust each other and we're there for each other and we know that we're not there to condemn or judge people. But we're there for community. and We're, we're there for the uplifting of each other. And it's in that honest community that we can share our struggles. We can confess those sins and we can know that we're being prayed for. As I was looking ahead to to verse 19 and 20, um, I got to be honest, I was looking for a way to preach this sermon without addressing verse 19 and 20, um, where it says, my brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover a multitude of sin. Because as I read that, I wondered, how how can I portray this in a way that that doesn't come across as just Christians being judgmental and calling out people's sins and, and, and bringing them back and being Bible. How can, I, how can I portray this in a way that doesn't come across in such a manner? Because that's the last thing that I wanted to do. But as I studied this and I read this and I 
thought about the idea of confessing our sins in honest community. It became clear that verse 19 and 20 was the, this is easy. It's the natural procession from, progression from this honest community where we are able to confess our sins. If we're in an honest community where we're able to confess our sins, knowing that it's going to fall in trusting ears and not someone who's going to gossip about us, but is going to be there to lift us up and to pray for us. If we have that honest community where we can confess that and then we see that one of our brothers and sisters in our community is wandering, it's not that big of a deal to say, hey, I feel like you're kind of struggling with this. Let's, let's talk about it. Let me pray for you. How can I help you? How, how can I help you overcome this? It's not this Bible beating like you're a sinner and your ways are, are crazy and you're, and you're going off the beaten path. It's a, hey man, we're in a community. I've confessed my sins to you. You've confessed my sins to, to me. I'm a, little, I'm a little concerned for you. And, and, and let me also point out that verse 19 and 20 is talking about Wandering Christians, right? Those of us who are in our community. Of, this, isn't the, this isn't the world who has not yet decided to follow Christ. This is us. So we can't use this as a way to condemn non-Christians, right? This is us in our honest community of believers. This is us helping out a brother who's just started to wander. But because we have this honest community where we can be open and confession has happened and we've built that trust, you say, hey man, I'm a little concerned. Um, maybe it's just a misunderstanding. And it, but in that honest communication, in that honest community, we can work that out. And it's not this huge deal of con- condemnation and judgment. So I wonder, are, are you in that type of community? Are you in that type of honest community where you can be yourself and you don't have to wear a mask and you don't, have, you don't feel like you have to be someone who you're not? We as a church have to be that community, but it also takes you being willing to be part of that community because part of this honest community requires you, requires me to be open about what I'm going through. If I'm hiding that, you know, that, I'm, that I'm struggling or if I'm even hiding that I'm having a really good time, then my community, my, my community can't build me up. Just honest. And just like the, if, the, uh, if the guy in the, in the um, cow show in the arena was not honest about who he was and we have chaos of um, cows running all over the show arena. Are you being honest with who you are? I think Philippians 2, uh, verse 3 and 4, gives this awesome example of what this call to radical faith in honest community looks like. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's what this honest community is about. This understanding that it's not about me and it's not about my selfish desires and what I want, but it's about building up my brothers and my sisters in my community. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, but instead build up each other and look out for other people's interests. That's what James is calling us here to here in this honest community. We're going we're gonna to wrap this up by participating in communion. Um, 
As I was, as I was thinking about this and, and the idea of communion, communion is this beautiful example of community, right? Communion, community, same root word. Commun- think, about, think about this. When you come to the dinner table with your family and you gather together at your dinner family, you can be who you are, right? There's no masks necessary. You can be who you are. Now, sometimes we go to dinner tables uh, at fancy restaurants and you're confused about, you know, which fork is for which and what do I do with my napkin when I'm, when I'm getting up to go to the restroom? Do I put it on my chair? Do I put it on my plate? Or do I take it with me, which would really be weird, but... When we gather at the dinner table with our family, with our community, we don't have to try to be someone that we're not. Like, it's us. It's just us. We can be who we are. We don't have to wear the mask because we're in this honest community where we're building each other up and we're looking after the interests of other people. So as we take communion, uh, sometimes, you know, we take communion by intention where we, we dip it in the, the bread and the juice and we eat it right away. Uh, well, I intentionally chose to do um, individual elements, uh, not because I don't like intention, I actually really like intention, but the, the picture that I, that I had with, we, we get our individual elements and we go back to our seats and we wait. And we wait until the entire community, us, has the elements and we partake in it together as a community at the table. So our usher, Amy, if you'll, if you'll come in uh, and play, um, our ushers are going to dismiss you from the back. Um, Pastor Joe and I will serve communion. But come up, grab your elements, and head back to your seats, and then just wait until the whole community has been served. You know, I think it's interesting that um, the first communion, when Jesus first broke the bread and passed the cup with his disciples, um, was in preparation of, of Jesus showing this ultimate example of what it looked like to live in community and to put other people's interests ahead of his own. I mean, this was on the, the night before he was to give up his life for his community. And so as we, as we partake in communion, may we not only remember the sacrifice that Christ made for us, But may we remember that we are also called to live in that community where we put other people's interests ahead of our own. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for calling us to community, to this honest community. Um, Thank you for the example of Jesus to lay down his life for others. Thank you for that example that you call us to. Um, May it not be something that we just think that's a a good story but we can't really do that but to take seriously that call to live an honest community um, because that's the example that you you gave for us the body of our Lord Jesus Christ which was broken for you preserve you blameless unto everlasting life take and eat this in remembrance that Christ died for you The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for you, preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Drink this in remembrance that Christ's blood was shed for you, and be thankful. God, thank you for this community. Um, This community where we can be ourselves and we can lift each other up. Um, 
Thank you for your sacrifice that you made for us so that we have something to be in communion with, to to celebrate um, and to bring us together. Um, May we continue to live our lives in a way that reflects your example of community. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless. You guys are dismissed.